Hello and welcome to the Tell Me If You Can podcast, a podcast where I have the honor of listening to and unpacking stories of amazing women. My name is Ogechi, your host, and today's guest is Lindsay Brennan. Lindsay is a teacher and an artist with a passion for charity. In today's episode, Lindsay shares her experience of entering and living a religious community and the lessons that experience taught her about faith, friendship, and the continual discernment we all practice in our own lives. Let's take a listen to Lindsay's story. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the podcast. For those of us that don't know who you are, can you give us a quick bio, who you are, what you do, and where you're from? Hi, Ogachi. Thank you so much for having me on today. Um, as uh, um, I'm, My name's Lindsay. <laughs> kind of nervous, as you can tell. Um, I live in Dallas. I'm originally from Arizona. Um, by day, I am a preschool teaching assistant, and um, by night, I'm a superhero. Uh, no, just kidding. Ah. Um, no, I'm I'm an artist. Uh, I like to paint and do various types of art. I like that. I'm a superhero. I might have to steal that. That's. I feel like everybody, especially if you have multiple passions, you have your day job and then things in the evening. It does feel like you're switching into a new costume and doing a whole nother part of your life, which is really cool. So speaking of passions and work, what were some of your childhood goals growing up? What was it like growing up and where did you see yourself as you, how you are now? Um, golly, growing up, uh, I have two brothers. I'm a twin. Um, he's also an artist, funny thing, but, um, I guess as a child, my goal was to be a writer. Um, I enjoyed writing all kinds of stories, poetry. In high school, I started writing music. Um, and it was mostly just, especially the music, an expression of my emotions. It was just a way to process my emotions. Um, I did want to be a basketball player at one point. Um, by the end of high school, I was kind of toying around actually with the idea of um, studying substance abuse counseling. I kind of got interested in um, just that element of psychology, um, partly from some family struggles and also from seeing a lot of classmates that struggled with various substance abuse problems. Wow, that's really cool. So it sounds like you had a bunch of different interests, Some, um, all of them really um, very e- expressive. So whether it's expressive in music or and writing or expressive in kind of how you interact with people. I feel like counselors are great listeners, but they also are great receivers and expressors of knowledge and comfort and empathy. So I could totally see you doing all those things. So um, obviously, that's not what you said that you do. <laughs> you kind of kept some of the art in, in the sense that um, you had that music and, and writing background, and now you're an artist, but you're a teacher now. So where was that um, high school ideal of, you know, even a basketball player, addiction counselor, to now being a teacher? How did that journey come? Well, I actually kind of fell into the childcare um, 
position in high school because my best friend was working at a daycare center at the YMCA and she just needed someone to cover her shift one summer. And so she recommended me and I got stuck there for 17 years, Um, not necessarily at the YMCA, but I uh, just loved it so much that I stayed at the YMCA for like four and a half years. And I've kind of been basically in different elements of childcare or education most of my life. Um, My parents also, my mom was a special ed teacher um, for all of, you know, her profession. So it's not really a surprise. And my dad was a, um, counselor. So it's kind of in the family as well. Wow. So that's literally in your DNA that, that kind of, you couldn't have escaped it even if you tried. (laughs) Exactly. That's really cool. So there's a little bit about, um, discernment. So normally when we talk about like, what were your goals and what are your, aspirations from those aspirations to then it coming into fulfillment like having the job having the position or doing that role in life there's this word that is often used um, called discernment and it really just means that you are taking the time to think deeply and if you pray you're praying about it as well inviting God into those thoughts and figuring out what path in life will or what vocation in life will open up the best possibility to be your truest and most um, giving and fullest self. Um, Sometimes people think that vocations are only if you're married or not married, or maybe go into religious life or not religious life. The vocations are in everything. So for you, your vocation is a teacher, an educator, a caregiver, and that's in your DNA. So you were like literally made for this and it's in your personality, your characteristics, and you, you fell in love with it at a young age. So how did you start discerning that vocation outside of it just being a job and into a calling? Mm. And were there other vocations that came up that you were interested along the way? That's a good question. Um, Well, I mean, in reference to that word vocation, um, I, like I said, I was at at that YMCA position for about four and a half years. And then uh, at that point I was in college um, and again, studying psychology and I got interested in child psychology um, and it just, it was a good fit just to kind of be able to learn and practice at the same time. But then in that time of um, my college years, um, I was also going through a prayer formation series um, that uh, talks about those things. Like the the first part of it is just teaching you um, basically how to pray. Um, And the second part is uh, all about discernment, like you just mentioned. And then the third part, is called discipleship and so it's basically like learning those principles of discernment how are you going to live this out in your life um who Mm. is god calling you to be basically um and so it took me like three years to make it through that program um kind of going at my own pace and by the end of it um looking at just the various patterns in my life and the way that 
I the things I was attracted to and just taking time with God in prayer, I felt like he was calling me to the religious life. Um, and uh, I say that there's kind of like we think of when you think of religious life, a lot of people like just think of nuns. Um, but uh, a religious sister is someone who um, kind of is more out out and about versus a nun who just stays there at her monastery or cloister. So um, I started looking into communities where I could be a religious sister because I felt like that was what God was calling me to do and where I found like the most joy, just like being with God in, in prayer and serving others. And um, specifically, I felt like he was calling me to a vocation to pray for priests Um, Mm. so I looked into this, these communities and found one that I, um, really, that spoke to me, um, that I just felt like I fit in and it's called, it was called the intercessors of the lamb and it was in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I made a retreat there. It was kind of a challenging retreat. Um, and I still had a year of college to finish out. Uh, but I still felt like I wanted to visit again, and I visited again after finishing college and um, ended up joining the community. So kind of took a turn from the the childcare, um, you know, vocation that we were just talking about earlier and kind of into something new. And so how long were you in the community? So for those of us that are listening, every different order, whether you're... Um, Kind of sometimes the easiest way to explain it is if you're thinking of um, becoming a doctor. So you have college. And so some people decide to become a priest or a sister right out of high school, but they still need to have that educational formation. It it all depends on the different orders. And I'm not an expert, so someone can correct me if they wish. But um, you have that formative like four years of college. And then if you were a doctor, you would go to then medical school and get a little bit more specialization. You dig deeper in these formation years on scripture, theology, psychology, or whatever other things your order would choose for you to do. And it could take different years in each step. There is different phases as it will, and they're called to different things. So um, how long was the formation process for that order and how long were you in it? Um. The entire formation process, hmm, at least five years. It was one of the one of the shorter ones. I know there's some that can be like twelve years or something, a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was there a year and a half. Okay. And what led you to then, if you feel comfortable sharing, leaving the order? And also, I'm curious how your parents felt about it sometimes parents um especially for women they have um different expectations of us um and and unfortunately pursuing religious life isn't um supported as much as it it should be at least for me as i've seen i never was encouraged for that um my only understanding was actually my mom had considered religious life before she met my dad um and you know, then she met my dad, and 
that obviously didn't, <laughs> didn't, I'm here, so that didn't happen. <laughs> and that's really my introduction to it, but it was never really um, encouraged in the same way that priesthood is for those of us that are Catholic. So um, how did your parents feel and what led you to leaving? Um, I don't recall my parents ever expressing a sort of disinterest, like not disinterest, what's the word? Discouragement. Um, mm-hmm. they, they are always supportive. Um, if they see that, the, that whatever it is I'm choosing is bringing me joy, um, they will support it, you know, and just walk with me mm-hmm. in it. Um, even though it might be a building of trust for them, you know, and kind of a journey of mm-hmm. faith and, and whatnot, but they're very supportive. I only found out after the fact of leaving that of, you know, their dis-ease and um, kind of wariness about the community. Okay. So it was that a specific order, not necessarily your interest in religious life that caused Right, panic. right. Um, so in reference to your other question, what led me to leaving... Um, the order itself um, had a lot of challenges. Uh, it was a newer order. I think it only came about in the 80s. Um, mm. You're noticing I'm using the past tense. It was a newer order. I'm um, So it eventually um, the members of the order... Uh, expressed kind of frustrations and, you know, challenges with leadership and things like that. Even some of the neighbors of the community had complaints and um, which I didn't know. I was kind of shielded from all this because I was just one of the younger um, sisters in the order. So Mm -hmm. um, I was very well protected from all that, which I'm grateful for. But uh, at one point in in my time there, there was scheduled what's called a canonical visitation, which is basically when the, the bishop, um, in the area schedules for somebody to come from Rome and Mm. oversee, um, the order and interview everybody, um, and just see how things are going and kind of make sure everything's in line and, um, Things are going all right. People are happy. Everybody's like living the life according to how um, they say they're living the life. Um, because kind of like an audit, right? Exactly. It's yeah, like yeah, a, okay, an audit from the Pope, basically. <laughs> um, so yeah, we had we had this happen, and there it just showed that like a lot of there was a lot of um, disagreement between. Um, how I might explain uh, the charism, which is like, um, just how do I explain the word charism? Um, it's kind of what what they're known for. So, um, for example, Jesuits. I don't I actually should know their charism, but I do not. Um, but it's um, it, it's like you you see a lot of Jesuits in education. Yeah, in like some orders are educating. known for seeing, for serving the poor or. Or teaching. Charity, yeah. yes, yes. So, 
Um, but like the members of our community couldn't adequately explain what the charism was. Mm. Um, and you know, even though we spend a year studying this as part of our formation, like you explain, um, and just some other things, you know, um, that, that they found that were kind of concerning, um, as well for me personally, it was just a very, uh, challenging time emotionally. Um, honestly, I would say that I basically had like a mental breakdown while I was there. There's like no other way that I can explain it. Um, but there wasn't, they did allow me to see a counselor, but it wasn't helpful because the counselor was connected to the community. So they just told me to Mm -hmm. like keep pressing through. It was going to get better. And, you know, nobody encouraged me to kind of think outside the lifestyle and think it's okay if you want to go rediscern this and, you know, take some space and maybe God really isn't calling you here or something like that, you know? Um, so. Yeah, because what's supposed to happen, what they don't, what shouldn't happen is that you're miserable the whole time that you're there. Obviously there's, I've talked to priests and there's spiritual ups and downs in everybody's journey, whether Mm -hmm. you're in religious life or not. And sometimes experiencing those downs when you're kind of isolated, you're away from home, especially if you travel far away, like some people go all the way to Rome or Europe to do to um, do their process. And so it can be really lonely, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't feel fully supported. So it sounds like you weren't supported the way that you were hoping for. And also um, a good spiritual director will tell you when sometimes the answer is no. Like God's answer is like, no or not yet. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people that do start on a path of um, some vocation or some journey. And they, it, it turns out that it's not for them, but it's not quite the time. And I, I equate it to um, someone, I have a, a really close friend. She worked really hard. She got into med school and she's in med school and she, it's like, everything around her was like red flags. No, 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 no. And so many people are like, girl, people would have killed to be in your seat in medical school. And you're so smart. You're doing great. Like, it's not even that hard. Like you're doing amazing. Why would you even consider another path and start all over another process and another kind of school? Mm -hmm. It just was not for her. And I think that's the same way for some people some people enter and they discern out and that's not like you're failing. It just means that you at least were brave enough to make that leap of faith and try and it wasn't for you. And hopefully you'd feel supported in making that decision. Sorry to hear that it wasn't the case. Um, how, how did you finally make that decision to leave? Okay. Yeah. That's the continuation of the story, I suppose. Um, so after that canonical visitation, um, the audit mm-hmm. from the Pope, um, they, the, the local bishop decided that he was going to appoint an outside priest to come and be the head of the community for a while and just to sort of make a few changes and kind of get things back together. And when he did that, the um, leader of the community, who was the foundress, was resistant mm-hmm. to that um, change. And 
um, she kind of had like 12-ish people around her, um, some of the other sisters that were kind of like her inner circle, um, mm-hmm. and were just preventing these changes that needed to occur, um, and had this sort of mindset of like, you know, this is God wants us to do it this way, you know, and not able to receive the direction from, from others. Um, and, uh, so the Bishop, after trying a few times to say, to, you know, work with her, he finally just said, um, if you're not going to be obedient to, you know, your authority, then I can't call this a Catholic community because, you know, you have professed obedience, um, as a, as a sister. So, um, he suppressed the community, which actually happened to the Jesuits at one point in history too. Um, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, and basically like, for those who are like, what, what does that mean? He suppressed the community. Like, did he just like smush it or something? Um, it basically is like, if it's like taking away the Catholic name, like the community still exists as an entity, but it's no longer a part of the Catholic church. Like it's no longer formally associated with the Catholic church, which has happened to hospitals as well. Like if a hospital is making decisions that are not in line with the Catholic church and it's a Catholic hospital, then a local bishop could strip it of its Catholic name. So the hospital mm-hmm. still exists. It doesn't just demolish the hospital. But basically, that's what happened to our community. And so the most of us said, where does that leave us? Because we came here knowing that we were, you know, um, just serving God in a, in a, as a religious sister or brother. There were brothers there, too. It was a mixed community. Um and we aren't happy with this decision. You know, we're not in agreement with the founders. We are in agreement with the local bishop. So um, we actually traveled around Omaha, oddly enough, for a while um, and stayed at an abandoned college and a retreat center and tried to decide if we could refound another community with the, the same charism. And most of us just were like, this is like a bunch of broken people trying to put together something that's good, you know? Um, so yes. we, we all kind of went our own ways. Like a few people did found a new community, but most people went back to their homes and like they might've individually joined another community. Several have gotten married and now have families. Um, so we all just rediscerned, you know, where, where does God mm-hmm. want us to go from here? Um, based on yeah. the fact that this community no longer exists as we knew it. Um, do you still stay in touch with some of the people that you were in community with? Yes, I do. The ones that um, cool. so we traveled around with, you know, trying. Yeah, mm-hmm. that definitely draws you closer together, yeah. for sure. Um, so that is definitely one positive. I'm sure you went into it very optimistic and hopeful, and unfortunately, it ended up not panning out just the way you wanted to. But um, what are some lessons that you learned about discernment due to this process or because of this process? Um, 
One thing that I learned is, you know, how to trust myself a little bit more um, mm. and my own conscience. Uh, and I also, you know, learn how to send off like other people to religious life or even like seminary with a little bit more freedom because I felt like when I joined, there was, you know, such a celebration that seemed like I had already professed vows and like become, a, you know, a sister. And I think the same thing is true sometimes for seminarians, like people congratulate them as if they had already mm -hmm. become priests. And I think that's like doing them a disservice because that doesn't give them the freedom of discernment. Mm. Like we should send them off with like, go have a great love affair with the Lord and like, you know, discern yeah. and freedom. And if you come back, we welcome you, you know, like we know that this is just a step in the journey. Like God is calling you here. So go and like, you're free, you know, like I just, I don't want other people to experience that sense of like tremendous failure. Like you said, like, yes. in, you know, I went and I, didn't succeed at what you thought I was going to succeed at and what I thought I was going to mm -hmm. give my life to. And now like my life is like in ruins. Yes. I have friends that I have a friend that's in seminary. We threw him a, a goodbye party, but a lot of the tone of the party wasn't like, well, one, it wasn't like, we're never going to see you again. Cause that's pretty depressing. It was like, well, we're here if you come back or whatever. And, um, it wasn't, I didn't want to put any pressure because I had had some friends already that were in seminary and different orders that um, discerned out or even if they didn't make the decision, maybe the order was like, actually, like, mm -hmm. you may not be like, this is it for you. Sometimes it's hard for us to see those things for ourselves. Someone else has to kind of nudge us and um or like there could have been some strife that happened. And so it didn't end even like for your, for your example, the best case scenario is like, this is a, we, a kumbaya, both of you decide like, okay, this isn't for me, but you almost were like not forced out, but you couldn't even um, discern that fully out mm -hmm. yourself because of how everything shook out. And so sometimes even that's even worse because you feel like, the situation wasn't even um, good in how you left the order. And again, for people that are non-religious or they're, they have no idea about religious life, I always like to give another example. It's the, same, it's the same way. Some people, they go to college and either that specific major isn't for them. I mean, how many people start out pre-med? And I was pre-med, went all the way through, took the MCAT, bombed it, didn't go to med school. So <laughs> like... Clearly, I'm not a doctor. Hello, um, but I don't. I don't really. I used to think that was a failure because I did all this work, and I still have the knowledge. I still have the friendships that I made along the way. Or some people they leave college. They, I mean, how many entrepreneurs can you name that dropped out of college because they had already found their passion and why could why wait? So all of those things can seem like failures if the community around you makes it seem like such and so it's great that you point out now when you know someone that's like I would like to become a religious sister or I would like to become a priest or I would like to 
you name any other endeavor in life, you give them the grace to fail if they need to, if they happen to fail and not feel shame because failure really is a redirection in life. And you were redirected in a couple of different ways. You kind of went back to that path of teaching, obviously, mm-hmm. um, that was interrupted. And you've learned lessons about yourself and God. And you've then expressed your faith in a different way. So um, you talked to me about your missionary work. So how did that happen after this whole process ended? So I went back home um, after I left the the order. And um, for a few months, I had staying with me one of the other former sisters um, because she didn't have any place to stay. And she was also from Arizona. So um, she just stayed with my family for a little while. And she brought me around to um, a prayer group or a Bible study where there was also one of the (laughs) ex-brothers who had been in the community before I joined. Um, And he was into mission work at that time. Um, And I think several people in the Bible study um, were linked up with a group that was going to Haiti. So... Mm. Um, I, I did take a trip to Haiti. Um, it was partly, it was just like, Hey, I really like this guy, you know, and which is how the Lord like works with me, you know, in in many areas of my life. It's like, you want me, you want Lindsay to go someplace, like just, you know, put put some guy in there and then, you know, it'll change my direction for a while. So if I'm not ordinarily going to just like run off to another country then that'll probably do Mm -hmm. it. So um, I went to Haiti. um, And then after that, I was thinking about going back to Haiti. But then this guy announced that he was going to be in Rwanda. So I thought to myself, now he's married now and he's got a family and whatever. But I'm just sharing this because it's part of my story. But um, he was going to be in Rwanda. And I thought... um, Oh, I didn't think about going to Rwanda, actually, at that point. But he started feeling like he needed more American community out there. Because mm. he had he was there for an extended period of time, several months, and he was by himself. Um, just plugging into different organizations over there, but he had just decided to go by himself. So... Um, I decided with another one of our mutual friends that we would both go over there, which mm-hmm. now my parents, you know, were not happy about this decision, okay. <laughs> but they let me go. Um, so the two of us went to Rwanda and then decided that instead of just staying in Rwanda, um, we would go up to Uganda and spend a few weeks okay. just in Uganda, just to kind of give him some space from his mission field. And he wanted to go to the Congo, but I was like, just calm down. Like settle down. Let's go to Uganda because like we know people in Uganda, oddly enough. Yes. So, um, one, there was also another, there was more than one former religious in Uganda, um, that we knew, Mm -hmm. um, and a few other kind of communities, um, connected, to the churches back home that we knew in Uganda. So we thought we would just go connect with those church communities and um, 
connect with the mutual friends and their families and then just ask like where can we help and like where can we serve and um they put the three of us to work like preaching retreats and um serving with life teen and um net ministries and stuff like that um and then at one point we visited a school in um the village that just really touched my heart um and I just fell in love with the of course there you go again with the school you know um Mm-hmm. everywhere you go I'm happy you I'm happy you picked it up uh-huh. like, and here we are back to the school so yeah um I fell in love with the the school and the kids um and made uh kept a connection with the um directors of the school just they're a married couple and I went back to Uganda on my own um two years later um, my brother came with me just to kind of set me up there. And then, mm-hmm. um, I stayed for three months on my own. Um, and that's kind of like how I really, I fell in love with Uganda really in like 2012, but, um, then, you know, staying there in 2014, I created a lot of relationships that, um, have lasted. So. Wow. Okay. So let's unpack. First, (laughs) you're not the first and you probably won't be the last guest that was led to her vocation or destiny or path in life because of a crush. I mean, (laughs) who amongst us has not done something? And like I said, God always finds us where we're at. So if it takes a crush to get you to... um, you know, whether it's like going to like a Bible study or going to apparently all the way to Haiti and Rwanda, then so be it. But I'm I'm happy that once again, your heart was full in working with and connecting with the school. So again, where your heart lies is working with young people and those connections and that's what you were able to connect with and that's why you're able to have those that long-lasting relationship in um, Uganda and it's really cool because I, I believe that you would have ended up in education and doing those same things anyway but those connections that you made from that community and you were only there a year and a half were allow, allowed you to trust them enough to travel the world with them I mean I don't know. There's some people I've worked with for many years and I don't know if I'd travel with them. So it just shows that there was still a lot of good that came about from your experience, even though it didn't end the way you wanted to. Um, and I also like that even though this guy, I don't know his name, we don't have to say his name because <laughs> he's married, but homie seems like he is a very adventurous person. I, I like a, I like a solid plan. Um, probably wouldn't have followed him anywhere because he didn't seem like he had a quite so solid plan. But I do like the idea when you go into mission work, I'm a service coordinator. So um, even if you have an idea of what you're going to do, it's really great, especially as um, Americans and you're white. So a white person going into an African country, um, there's nothing worse than thinking you know how to help that organization. I'm going to this is the Western way and we're going to fix you. Mm -hmm. You came in there kind of like open heart, open mind, where shall I serve? And of course there's already organizations on the ground 
whether they're faith-based or not, that were doing the work and had those connections. And you weren't trying to insert yourself in places that you weren't needed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something to take away for a listener. Uh, Unfortunately, there's a lot of organizations that um, will take your money to travel and do quote unquote mission work, but really you're kind of like, it's almost like a travel experience with like the pat on the back of service. Mm -hmm. And I, I very much hate that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because what we're called to really is solidarity Mm -hmm. and solidarity means that you're partnering with that person that you're serving. You're not serving from a a place of being above them, but you're serving as a side-by-side brother and sister. Mm -hmm. Your benefit in your community benefits me as a, a person and their benefit in their community benefits you as a person. So mm-hmm. all of us working together to elevate everyone to a, a better standard of living. And so um, for you in your years of working with that school, what does solidarity mean to you? How is that partnership built? Yeah, uh, I'm glad you you mentioned all that. Um, that is something that like I really feel like I learned a lot from you know, that friend that, that I followed all the way to Africa. Um, that's something (laughs) that he preached all the time is just like how to be friends with and suffer with, um, Mm. versus just, you know, going and giving a handout, you know, like giving a hand up and, um, for the school in particular, um, I, I mean, I still hear from, the owners of that school, Paul and Mary, um, all the time, like we WhatsApp and they, it's not like, you know, their life is not easy. Um, they live in the village and the village life is just, it's struggle constantly. Um, and we've tried to, I guess, in terms of solidarity, what we, uh, me and this gentleman, um, we have always tried to focus on business, um, business opportunities for them, like business plans, not like Mm -hmm. we are going to just dump a bunch of money into your school. It's like, how can we create a business partnership? Um, like lay out a business plan. How do you, how, what do you see that you can do for the growth and development of your school? And they've created, pineapple projects, poultry projects, um, passion fruit projects, all kinds of things. Now, most of them don't come to fruition, unfortunately, just because of all kinds of unforeseen things. A child will get sick or um, a Mm. drought um, Mm. or COVID, you know, or a con man was the latest one. Like they took out a loan for a business and it was a con artist that they got like paid, got a a big loan from a lender and then gave it away to a con artist, you know, not knowing because they trusted this con artist because he was associated with a priest that they knew. So it's like always, it's always something, something different, but they, I think that like, I always try to focus on when they or any of my friends in Uganda will message me, it's, you know, just, I listen to their struggle. It's not just like they send me an emotional plea and I send them money, you know, 
like I will listen to it and then say okay like what can we do about it like what what are the options you have available you know and sometimes I don't send anything and they know that and but yet they don't stop like they they don't stop messaging me you know like the ones that are true friends like know that they can Mm -hmm. share it and I might just say man that's tough I'm praying for you you know and then sometimes I might say okay like I really feel led to like help you with this I can help you by creating a website I can help you by you know linking you with my other friend that lives in the city nearby you like like different ways so it's not always you ask and I give you money you know Mm -hmm. and I think in a way that empowers the other party um unfortunately there is that trend to just dump money at a problem and like you said even if you dumped money at a problem, it may not get to the roots uh, or create an, such an effect that has a ripple benefit for the community. Um, and also, it sounds like in those conversations, you are discerning with them. Mm-hmm. You're discerning for yourself how you can best use your time, talent, and treasure resources to help them. Um, you're not trying to be like this like white savior mm-hmm. in for their community. And you're also helping them discern how best to either A, use the resources that they do get from you or anyone else, or B, um, figure out like exactly what their needs are and how it could be handled and solved. And I think that's a benefit for anyone, whether you're dealing with someone that lives across the pond in another continent, in another country, Or if you are engaging in relationships with people in your community, there's need in the United States, there's needs all around the world. And how you look at that and what lens you use is really important. Um, I've been reading a little bit more on Dorothy Dorothy Day, and she's really into um, solidarity and the distribution of resources and how you view your neighbor is really a, a key part of um, her whole, was a key part of her whole, her whole mission. And so the lens with which you view those in need, wherever they are, um, really affects how you move and how you um, help them. If you're helping them for yourself, then you are not really practicing mm-hmm. solidarity and charity in the way that it's meant to be practiced. Um, if you're helping them with them for them in a partnership, that's really the best um, route because it empowers them. I do community organizing and um, one, um, I guess, mission motto or something like, like one thing that we always say is never do for someone that they can do for themselves. So if you want to start an after-school program at a, a, a local elementary school and you haven't met with all the stakeholders, the kids, the teachers, the parents, caretakers, principal, janitorial staff, anyone that would be involved in that program and figure out what they will do to make sure that that, so if this organization leaves, like if you moved or left or had a new life instance, hopefully they would feel empowered enough to be able to still advocate for themselves. And so that is really, I think, the beauty of true solidarity because everyone benefits not just the person giving mm-hmm. to the poor need person 
So let's talk about another expression of your faith. Um, those of us that are listening may not know that you are also an artist and you have um, a business where you create beautiful art pieces. I don't have mine oh. next to my, well, not that, I mean, this is an audio, so I'm, I don't know why I was going to grab a picture that literally no one can see, but um, I have um, had the honor of getting a couple of your pieces. So how did you go about um, getting back into artwork and choosing to draw religious artwork specifically? Gosh. Um, you know, I started drawing in high school, um, and I think it was mostly just because I saw my brother drawing so often, and <laughs> it was just like, oh, well, maybe I can draw a few things here and there and practice. Um, but like I said, in high school, I was mostly into um, writing music, and that was my expression of art at that point. Um, and I did write a little bit of music, too, while I was um, in the community. Um, and I didn't have access to things like paints and a lot of art supplies while I was there either. So the thought didn't yes. really occur to me. Um, but I did have, a, they did lend me a guitar. So, you know, that was like how I could pour my heart out. Um, mm -hmm. But when I came back, um, I don't recall how I got back into it but I just was doing it for fun and um when I moved to Dallas um the my first roommate that I lived with um it's been a mission experience here living in Dallas I've moved moved like five times in the past six and a half <laughs> years and had like six jobs um but that's just how I like my life to be it's fun um but my first roommate, Caroline, um, is a good friend of mine, and her um, now husband was very encouraging. Whenever um, the both of them would, would be there and I'd be working on my art, because we, Caroline and I lived in a one-bedroom apartment, so it was a very small space, and so I had to work on my art, like, in the common area. And yes. they would see it, and they were entrepreneurs themselves, or they are, and... Um, just kept telling me monetize everything monetize everything and I was like <laughs> this was like the motto that I never heard I was just like I'm just making art because I want to make art and they're like no you should make a business out of this so after enough encouragement um I did make a business out of it um I think in 2015 uh and then you know it just kind of grew from there I just made an Etsy page and a, a website and little by little started marketing I love that. There's definitely those those of us that are just like, oh, I love this. This is my passion. And the like very business people that are like, if it, if you could charge a penny, charge a penny, like everything. And I, there's some benefits to that, especially if you're expending so much money and, and time and, you know, you're really perfecting it, then why not? Someone will pay for beauty in their home. They'll pay for um, artwork and so I think the challenge for me and it might be the same for you is that because your artwork is religious and charging for like something that's connected to your faith mm -hmm. expression can sometimes feel like icky but um, again as long as you're you're still connecting it very much to your faith expression and not necessarily churning out pieces to 
to be rich, then I think there's still purity in in making money out of it. But I think some things don't have to be. I mean, sometimes I I do coloring books. I'm not paying. No one is paying for my <laughs> adult coloring book masterpieces or things that I doodle in my procreate. I just create because I want to for that, and I'm not expecting anyone to want to pay me for it. Now, if you would offer, feel free, and I will accept. Um, but there's there's some there's room in your life to do things for fun. Do you still write? I like to journal, but that's about all the writing that I do. I I did end up recording um, one of the songs that I wrote um, after Community. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of more professionally recorded it last year. Um, Ooh. But uh, I don't have a lot of time for writing music, although I, I would like to sit down with it. But it's just like, you know, I focus more of my attention on the visual arts. So, yeah. And uh, like as life goes on, mm-hmm. different things will come back to us. So it's not like because you're not doing it now, you'll never do it ever again. Um, our lives are in phases. So that, I think that. It'll be cool to hear that 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 song and um, definitely continue with your art because you're doing a great job. Can you tell us the name of your business? So if anyone wants to check it out, they can. Sure. It's called Beauty of Truth Designs. And you can just find it on beautyoftruthdesigns.com. Yes. And she's also on Etsy in case you were a frequent Etsy shopper. Um, and she also has, you have an Instagram page, correct? Yes. And that's just beauty yeah, of so, truth. Um, so my last question, I always ask if I can remember, um, what is a rose and a thorn in your life? A rose is like a high point, something positive that's going on right now. And a thorn is something that's a little bit of a bump along the way. Mm. Um something I can think of that's going on right now is I'm helping to plan um, an arts event uh, in honor of St. Joseph um, because this is the year of St. Joseph. Um, Pope Francis has called it the year of St. Joseph so we can learn more about him and kind of grow closer to Jesus through um, our knowledge of him. And um, so I'm helping to kind of organize an event that will um, have music and art that's devoted to St. Joseph. Um, So that's exciting. And then the thorn. I'd say just like maybe just in the struggle of um, searching for the big V vocation of like, you know, I mean, we've talked a lot about vocation and there. I, I kind of think of them as like big V vocation, meaning like marriage or religious life, or like even a dedicated single person, you know, that just chooses to be single for, for God. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, then the, the little V vocation, that's like your, you know, profession or your passion. Um, Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I know what my little V vocation is, but still um, go back and forth kind of on my big V vocation, um, you know. So 
the the emotional struggle of that oh yeah it's it definitely even once you figure it out you know I am just celebrating my three-year wedding anniversary and I still feel like you don't stop just because you figured it out you still have to work on it to maintain it and to continue to give life to it um and so I think wherever you land you'll do amazingly and I will pray for you that hopefully it's not as an emotional struggle as it has been um and I definitely hope that the festival goes great you luck out that you have like more good weather in Dallas than <laughs> than the rest of us. We just started seeing pockets of spring, so yeah. Um, I mean, we had that giant winter storm too, and now we're getting tornado season. So you, Dallas is very bipolar. I used to say, I used to say that Dallas was like, oh yeah, Texas, totally fine. But this year has taught us that it is not the case. You can totally switch things up on us. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for being a guest today Um, so that we can follow along on your journey. We did share your artist page for Instagram. If anyone wants to follow you on Instagram, where can they find you? Uh, It's just Instagram.com slash beauty of truth. Awesome. And I will leave that down below. And do you have the name of the school if in case anyone would like to learn more about the school in Uganda? Um. I guess you would have to contact me directly. Um, the school right now isn't uh, functioning just because of COVID. Uh, they've been gotcha. through so many challenges. But there is, um, I could share a link with you for um, a parish, a sister parish that we support that's in Uganda as well. We have a relationship okay. with another church over there. So that's okay. another friend of mine. So we'll share as much information as we can in case you want to help out and um, follow along on Lindsay's artwork and, you know, her life. (laughs) Thank you so much again. Thank Thank you you for sharing your story. Have a great day. You too. Whether you're considering religious life or any other type of vocation or passion in life, just like Lindsay, you will experience disappointments along the way. And I love how she was able to pull the lessons of her friendships that she gained, the lessons of how she can express her faith differently, and rediscovering her passion for teaching and education that was in her DNA. Lindsay expresses herself in her artwork, in her teaching, and in her charity and that connection that she continues to build with those in Uganda. If you'd like to follow along with Lindsay's artwork and her charity work, I will leave information in the show notes down below. If you would like to share this episode with a friend, go ahead and share it on social media. Follow us on Instagram at Tell Me If You Can Podcast on Instagram and tell a friend so that they can listen to stories just like Lindsay's. As always, have a great day in your own amazing story. Mm-hmm.